This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're gonna keep you wheels turning. The fabulous learning nerds. Fabulous learning nerds. Oh yeah! Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your fabulous learning nerds. My name's Scott. I'm your host, and with us again, you love him, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. Dan. Scott, how you doing? Hi, I'm doing really good. I got to do some nerdy stuff yesterday, right? And that was awesome. Um, I don't get to go out to cons very often, but I did. And I got some con swag, which was really awesome. Um, yeah, so I'm... Would you say it was a fabulous time? It was a fabulous learning nerd time, which is great. Oh, excellent. <laughs> how about yourself, sir? I think you know. I think everyone knows. Fair to Midland. I think they do. Fair to Midland <laughs> is great. That's right. Yeah, I had to change it up. I'm just a, a new drop for Fair to Midland just because. you And you deserve the, the happy choir, sir. Aw. Thanks. Aw. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, great. Cool. Anything new in your world, sir? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, summer and just busyness. Um, uh, my God kids are hanging out with us a lot more, which is super fantastic. Actually, uh, after we're done recording here, uh, they're coming over to hang out. We're going to cook hot dogs over a campfire because we got a whole bunch of land in the backyard and it's going to be super awesome. I'm super looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. So that's great. Really appreciate that. Um, awesome. So, hey, everybody. Um, she's back. She was on vacation last week. We can't wait to hear about all the fun that she had without Dan and myself. Uh, you love her. Abby Dawson, everybody. Abby. Hey, Scott. How you doing, Abby? I'm good. How are you? All right. Tell us all about your vacation. I went to St. Simon's Island. Little family vacation. Love it down there. Very pretty. Very relaxed. That's Lots awesome. of bugs. <laughs> Lots of bugs? So buggy. Bugs are not fun. Mm-mm. No, but but you got a little bit of a tan and you got vacation, which is yes. great. Everybody needs to take more vacation, in my humble opinion. I agree. My my new rule is one week a quarter. That's what I'm shooting for. 
one week a quarter. And uh, in my organization, I could have more than one week a quarter, but um, I don't. If I if I get two weeks, it's it's lucky. You know what I'm saying? I think feel like that's where most people are at. But we all need more than that, and I think it's fine. So that's great. We're glad that you went on vacation. We missed you. Um, I missed you guys. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, we also have someone with us today. Um, super excited uh, about what he has to talk about. We could talk about what um, Matthew's going to be chatting about every episode, but um, that would be boring. So at any rate, uh, we're going to get to know all about him with a little segment we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Matthew. Good morning, Scott. What's your deal, my friend? Scott, here's my deal. I've been coaching and training leaders for about 15 years now. And my experience is that every leader is trying to grow and every organization is trying to support them. But I find that very few leaders are actually focused on what is truly holding them back from reaching their next level. And few organizations really know how to support them to grow in those areas. Uh, started as a principal managing leaders. Then I became the head of a principal certification program. Now I'm a learning and development designer and, and leadership coach. And across all of those different jobs, what I find is I'm training and I'm coaching leaders and they inevitably get to this place, every single one of them, no matter where they are in the leadership pipeline, where they hit a brick wall. They get stuck on certain competencies. And, you know, we double down on the skill and knowledge building with them over time and still there's no movement. And so what I've, you know, what I found historically is when that happens to, to leaders who are growing, as managers, we start to assume that those leaders don't have what it takes in some way. You know, I'm guilty of this or that there's some fixed trait about them that there's just not going to change. Right. Like they're they They just have low awareness or, or, you know, their bar is too low. And as leaders ourselves, we can't figure out why we don't do the thing, right? Why we can't delegate or why we can't, aren't good at showing vulnerability. And we start to believe that that's just how we are, like that we're fixed. I'll never be good at conflict, for example. Um, and, but what I've discovered about this brick wall is that there's actually a way to get around it. Um, but it's not about teaching skills and it's not about learning knowledge. Uh, it's actually about mindsets. What I would describe is like what's going on below the surface, our stories, our beliefs about things. And so I've been obsessing about this for like 10 years. Um, and what I've found is that emotional intelligence provides us with a roadmap to be able to shift those below the surface obstacles. And so that's my deal, right? My deal is that I coach and train leaders on how to shift those, what I call self-limiting mindsets. And I wrote a book about it so leaders can work on those mindsets on their own. Well, it's really super important and really glad to have you here. Um, and I, like I mentioned earlier, we, we can't talk about this enough. Um, you know, when you look at the state of the world, you look at the state of corporate America, you look at the state of our schools. You know, I feel like we're we're in the renaissance of working and learning, right? And it's a really awesome place to be, and I'm super excited to have you here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into our topic of the week. Are you ready? 
All right. Emotional intelligence and transformation, really important stuff. So why is it that you feel like school leaders, corporate leaders, or just leaders in general, why, why is it so important for us to focus in on this emotional side as well as the technical and competency side uh, of work and learning? Yeah. Uh, you know, one reason, like I said, is that technical skills can only get us so far. Uh, particularly as younger leaders, we need to learn a lot of technical skills and a lot of knowledge to be able to be good at the, the foundational piece of our job. But as we kind of move up the leadership pipeline, uh, what I've found and, and what the research shows is leaders are, are, are need to depend more and more on what we would call adaptive skill sets than technical skills. Another way to say that is leadership becomes more and more about human beings and working with people's emotions. Uh, than it does about being able to execute technical skills. And so, you know, when, I, when I've coached and trained leaders, especially when they take a jump up to the next level of leadership, or particularly when they're up at very high levels of leadership, uh, the, the skills that got them there, for example, being great at doing, right, being great at executing, are no longer serving them when their job is to get other people to execute. And, and increasingly to create the conditions for learning for those people to grow. And so leaders who don't have these emotional intelligence-based competencies, uh, they kind of get stuck and they become obstacles for other people's performance. Yeah, I was just going to say, remember the good old days when I was measured solely on delivering value for the stakeholder, right? For the shareholder, right. that was it in a, in a leadership position. Like, oh, I could do that. That's awesome. Well, now I'm living in an age where, well, wait a minute. I, I, I got to take care of my people too? Well, that's right. not fair. Um, and so what you're talking about is so critical. And I, and I love this idea of building that competency. And I Correct me if I'm wrong. My experience is that the, there's a massive need for this um, and a lot of work that needs to get done across the board for us to get there. That is so true. And, you know, Scott, I'll always have a job uh, because of what you just said, you know, and, and we're, we're, like you said, it's really kind of an evolution from an age when transactional leadership was the norm. Right. And we were taught that leaders are very strong and have a like a very powerful exterior and don't show any emotion and they tamp their emotions down. And there's no place for emotions at work. Uh, there's no place for us to bring certain parts of ourselves to work. And that was kind of the way it was. But that's that's not really how uh, things are working anymore. Uh, I think that the part of that was a generational thing, you know, um, but now, uh, particularly after the pandemic, um, people's perceptions of what, what work is, like the, the, the idea of what work is, is shifting. And what people expect from work is shifting, particularly in, in uh, the younger generations of professionals. Um, and it really calls for a new, a new more human-centered kind of, kind of leadership. I've started calling it social-emotional leadership. And I'm from the education space, so social-emotional learning is a thing. Um, but really, that's what it is. It's, it's leaders who know how to uh, influence and, and create the conditions for people to grow 
in those conditions, of course, are largely emotional. I love that. I love that social emotional leadership. I, uh, you know, having been a leader and definitely been part of the camp that says like, oh, like you have to build this wall and like you've got to be like this buttoned up, stayed individual, this this rock. Um, that sucks. <laughs> and like, you know, I I can't imagine living in a time and a place where that would have been the norm. Like I've always been super fortunate to have very emotionally attached leaders. And I, I think the few times where I've had leaders who tried to exemplify that like level of like standoffishness, that false front, uh, I've, I've struggled against. And I think many people now do as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's just, there's a, a desire for it and, and an understanding, just an increasing understanding that what it takes even for adults to learn is relational trust. Uh, and, and that doesn't happen unless there's relationship, right? Uh, you know, in my work, I talk about the, like the core, the core elements of strong, uh, engagement as a leader are challenge and connection. And you need them both for people to grow because connection with connection without challenge is enabling, right? It, it does lower the bar, but, but challenge without connection, um, that can be dissonant and, uh, it, it, it creates disconnection and, and really uh, compromises the safety of the, of the learning environment. So I've got a question for you. Um, I think all of these principles you brought up um, resonate in me because I know I came out of a sales environment where they were promoting people into team lead positions, let's say, because I think there's a lot of ways to, to move into a leadership role. But let's, let's focus on team lead. And it was based on their performance in sales. And there were so many people I saw promoted who were fantastic at sales and struggled tremendously as a leader. And it's because I think they were looking for the wrong competencies, right? Um, which, which is what you were talking about. Um, and I saw a lot of people move into different kinds of roles. It's one of the reasons I moved into training. Um, was because I knew I was never going to move up. Uh, I was not like the top performer trainer, but I knew how to help people. Um, and that was not going to be recognized. And I think a lot of people have probably seen that and, and made similar choices. What's your opinion of, instead of like a one-to-one so like leading a specific team, like I lead a team of four people. This is my relationship with them. I'm able to challenge them, build trust with them on a one-to-one basis. Moving into a leadership role that's not necessarily over a team, but like in a training position. How do you develop those competencies there that you're talking about that the trust and challenging? Um, how do those manifest? Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I hope I didn't ramble. <laughs> no, you're, you're kind of describing my job, really, because I go in, I may not have those relationships with people, but my, my job is to help people grow or kind of at a transformative level, which is very deeply personal. Uh, and so in answer to your question, I think the one of the core competencies for that kind of job is how do you very quickly and effectively build that, what I would call the container build that container of relational trust uh, because the container is the prerequisite to learning to that deeper personal learning. 
And so, um, what the other thing you said, I, I'm, I know how to help people. And in my language, I say, I would say, you know how to diagnose where people are and what they need to get them where they need to be. And actually that's a, that's a learning and teaching competency. Um, and it's one of the, the core, the core parts of, of emotional intelligence. There's four dimensions, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And you're talking about social awareness, the, the ability in, in the way I use it, the ability to figure out where people are and not just skill wise, but kind of below that surface like where they are in their emotions and their values and what their, their stories about what it means to be a leader or whatever is their story about what it means to, to be whatever it is you're trying to train them to be. Um, and being able to diagnose the need, diagnose the growth area. And, and that actually another core competency of that is, is empathy uh, because you have to leverage empathy to be able to take that kind of perspective on somebody. Uh, and so you can you can develop those competencies, uh, but it's you got to figure out what they are first and 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 what where people are with them. And so that's one of the great things about emotional intelligence. Um, it it provides a framework for figuring out what the competencies are and which ones someone needs to grow. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, you mentioned the four parts emotional or you know self-awareness and all the social awareness all the groovy stuff why is it so important then or how do we help leaders identify these emotional conditions like i i find it really fascinating you say we can go ahead and grow this competency because it that that's important um and i feel like a lot of leaders feel like that's something that's missing for them or i can't do it because i just don't uh, I've heard before, like, I can't do it. I don't have any empathy. And I'm like, really? <laughs> that can't be true. So, you know, how, how do we do that? How do we develop these competencies? And how do we how do we start to focus in on the emotional conditions, not only for performance of work, but also for learning as well? Right. Well, first, you need a roadmap. You need to know what you're trying to build. And so, uh, you know, what I discovered in my training, like the big aha for me was, wait, these four dimensions can be a roadmap if you operationalize them. And so I took these four ideas and, and tried to turn them into a lens first and then a, a kind of roadmap for building, building competency second. Because no matter what it is you're trying to grow in, you need all four of those things to be effective at it. So let them, let's take, for example, and this is a real common one for leaders, getting better at difficult conversations. Before I discovered emotional intelligence, I would go into a difficult conversations. I'd give them one of those great books, like Crucial Conversations, read, read a couple chapters and, um, you know, take this, this self-survey about your conflict styles and... Um, they'd come into my training and I'd give them a bunch of sentence starters. Here's how you do it. Here's a case study. I'm going to show you how to do it. Then you're going to practice it with a partner and role play, which is all kind of great. Nothing wrong with that, but, but it actually was only one of the four dimensions of emotional intelligence. That's, that's relationship management. We're practicing engaging in relationship management. The problem with that development approach is no social awareness. You don't know anything about the person you're engaging. 
You've done no perspective taken. You've done no listening. Self-awareness. You've done very little thinking about what's wrong. What are those obstacles inside of myself that get in my way? And, you know, in my model, we've added a fifth dimension, which is just core values. Because what we found over time is if someone's not connected with their core, then they're kind of just adrift. And so the core values piece, why do I care about engaging effectively with this person? How does that connect to my core values as a human being, much less a leader? And then self-awareness. Now that I know what my stuff is, what's getting in my way, for example, in this case, I may kind of be conflict diverse. You know, I, I want people to like me. In my book, I call that the unintended enabler. One of the things I've always struggled with, right? Uh, if I have that awareness, I can now use self-management to come up with new internal strategies to, to manage that. Um, and self, uh, self, um, self-management strategy might be self-talk, right? Listen, I want this person to be successful in their job. They're not going to be successful if I don't give them this feedback. It's my job to give them this feedback. That might be some self-talk or self-coaching I might use in that moment to help me get over my my self-limiting self-talk of, man, I really want this person to like me. If I give them this feedback, they're, they're going to hate me. And, and those are the stories, the self-limiting stories we all have when it comes to our, our gap. Um, and, you know, the purpose of, of is self-awareness makes you aware of that and self-management helps you, you work on the narrative the inner narrative. I wonder if you think um, in general, the workplace just has a fear of emotions because I think about difficult conversations and a lot of the best leaders I've worked with just let those emotions be true. First of all, like they were still very emotional conversations. They were difficult um, probably on both sides. So they showed emotion. I showed emotion. um, And I think without that, the relationship would have been very different. I don't know if I've always worked in a workplace where that was always possible. (laughs) And uh, where like the show of emotions was like immediately like, oh, whoa, like this chill out, like you need to go deal with that on your own. It's not a workplace safe thing. Um, In those positions, like do you have any advice for, for the leader who may be trying to work in an environment where that's not necessarily supported or... Um, someone who's working with a leader who's showing that that is not supported. Yeah. What I would want to do is work with that leader's leader <laughs> because, uh, you know, what I tell the, the people that I work with is emotions are data. And, and without that data, we're sometimes like running blind on what's actually going on in any, any room at any time or any meeting or any relationship. Um, and as a leader, it's some of the most powerful data you've got. You know, if someone is is underperforming and I come in and I'm very happy and positive with you every time we meet, and, and maybe I'll give you a little soft feedback, but I do it in a real friendly way, you don't, you don't know you're struggling. Uh, but if I can share a little data, I am worried. I am frustrated. I am... I am doubtful that changes everything, right? That person then realizes, Oh shoot. Um, and that's the greatest gift that we can give that person who's under underperforming the knowledge that they are 
And one of the ways we can do that is by, sh by that sharing our emotional data. Um, and, you know, back to that transactional leader history, unfortunately, we're, there are a lot of leaders who are still trying to overcome that. And, and for a leader who's, who, and it takes a culture to be able to do that, but it has to start with the person who owns the culture, the, the, the top leader of it. Um, so it, increasingly, I've been trying to engage with systems at the very top to build that awareness for the leader so they can start to create it across it. Um, and for the leader stuck in the middle, coaching is a great uh, opportunity. And that's, you know, that's a thing that's growing, I think, across sectors. But with a coach, that's someone who's outside of your organization, who's not in the chain of command, who's not, uh, it's not evaluative. It's the safe space that you can process um, and, and build emotional self-awareness so you can self-manage better and, and show up uh, more healthy in that environment. You know, I, I, I want to say, I love this. I love this idea of like, to your point, like making sure that you've got like the emotional wherewithal to deliver tough feedback in a clear and concise way. I can't tell you how many times in when I was younger in my career where I have, might've worked with a leader and they were like, Hey, like there's this thing. And we're like, yeah, it's just something like I want you to keep an eye out on and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, cool. And like, so I've like made a mental note, I keep an eye on it, but not realizing like the, like what the danger was and like how it was negatively impacting others because nobody told me. And so it was something that like, as I became a leader and, you know, wanted to strike that balance between, uh, being a, a, a good leader and being able to like have like real conversations with people making sure to be like super upfront. Like when we come to those moments, just be like, Hey man, going to have a real talk with you. And I really need you to pay attention for the next 30 seconds. Cause this is very important. What I'm about to say and like, Hey, we're on the wrong side of the mountain. This is what's going on. This is what I see. Let's talk about why we're doing it. And I need you to know that we need to get to the other side of the mountain. And I, I can't tell you what a difference it's made. And when I think back to leaders who were trying to give me tough feedback and I'd see them get nervous or I'd see them like not want to engage in that difficult conversation, knowing that I was going to have an emotional response. So doing everything they could to like sidestep it or, or like skate over top of it, where it would have just been much easier to say like, Hey, Daniel, uh, I've noticed you've been doing this and it sucks and I need you to stop. I mean, obviously not you that wording, but you know, like just that level of, directness and to your point the emotional understanding wherewithal to be able to engage with me like would have saved me so much time and heartache and pain so i love this this is great right you know we as leaders in that situation have all of these stories about all the terrible things that are going to happen if we give this feedback and what i try to help people see and and, and they when they shift their inner narrative is just what you said the greatest gift you can give to that person is to help them not have all this heartache and struggling and, you know, just negative experience that's going to happen if you don't. Like the greatest gift you can give someone is to help them grow. And, and back to the idea of connection and challenge, what I try to help leaders see is um, what really matters 
uh, is three things. One, you're giving that person the opportunity to grow. And two, if, if you ha- give them that, that, that experience, all they really care about is that they believe that you're invested in them. And I heard you say that in your narrative, right? I'm going to help you get to the other side of this mountain. And that they believe that you believe that they can do it. Those are the, those are the two core conditions for someone to help someone else grow. You know, I come from education. Think about the best teacher you ever had. I'm sure they challenged you, but I'm sure they also made you feel deeply sure that they were invested in you and cared about you and that they believed you could do it. It's so easy, Matthew. So easy. Like I inherited an opportunity employee, right? Specifically because I have emotional intelligence and my leader knows it. (laughs) But yeah, here's some things you need to improve on. So my get the laundry list of something that needs to change. I'm going to challenge you to think about it this way. Boom, boom, boom. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about it tomorrow. Like I'm not, I want to talk about it today. I want you to detach and I want you to think about this. Right. And I'm confident it was so easy. I'm confident that you're going to nail this one out of the park. Exactly. And they did. They totally did. And all it was, and I, sometimes I feel like there's, um, you know, not only is there an opportunity when it comes to delivering, you know, this, the, the, the feedback that's not great, but there's a huge opportunity in delivering that positive feedback, the carrot, you know, the carrot versus the stick, that old mentality out there. Um, one of the things I know that Gallup talks about, like, Hey, we got to, you got to recognize your employee at least once a week, mm-hmm. once every seven days, right? From an engagement perspective. And I talked to fellow leaders of mine, like, I can't do that. And I'm like, it's so easy. I'm, I'm confident you can do this. Or I, I really appreciate you or I really appreciate that. And, and the amount of, oh my goodness, goodwill that you get from that performance output that you get from being positive is, is fantastic. You know, I say this to teachers and it's true of leaders. The best teachers, the best leaders are the ones that hold up a mirror to someone that is better than they ever think that they can be themselves, right? The people who grew us the most in our lives are the ones that saw something in us we didn't see in ourselves. And that's what I just heard you say, Scott. Like, I am 100% sure you're going to hit it out of the park. If you're saying that to me, I probably am not 100% sure I can hit it out of the park. But if you tell me I can... I'm, I'm going to start to believe that, right? Because what you're doing as a leader is helping someone shift their narrative. You're, you're helping them create a new story about themselves. Now, one of the fascinating things I learned about emotional intelligence, emotions are contagious. We, we have these things called mirror neurons. And when two people come together, these mirror neurons start to dance. And the person with the most powerful mirror neurons is the boss. It's the person with the power in the room. And so when you tell someone, I'm, I know you can hit this out of the park, the emotional contagion of that is more powerful than we know. Uh, so there's, there's, some, there's something really deep and hard, but hard to measure about that, right? Uh, which is why I think it's, it's not as valued by some. But once you start to understand that that's how it works, that how gr- that human development and leadership development works, 
if you can shift your mindset to that and be able to intentionally live into those kinds of messages, the performance growth is like you said, Scott, the performance growth, you know, increases exponentially. So I have a question for you. If you had a company come to you tomorrow and say, look, I think we have some opportunities. We want to develop. Um, we're not doing great at emotional intelligence, but we're committed to improving. If they asked you, what kind of commitment are we looking at? Like, what's the process we should expect? What are some milestones we should look for? And what are some um, achievements of, of making this journey with you? What, what can we expect to get out of it? What would you t- what would you talk to about with them? So, in terms of the inputs, I would say I want to I want to work with the top leader first, uh, because, like I said before, it it's it's got to be a culture, and it starts at the top. Uh, and then I would want to do some coaching, as much coaching as I, as I could with a C level, uh, that C level of leadership. Then what I would want to do is start building a common language, and I can do that through cohort learning. Uh, you know, leadership cohorts who can like build that common language of these competencies, these emotional intelligence competencies, and do some of the personal work themselves. Identify a self-limiting mindset they need to work on, and take them through the process of that. Because what I found is you have to you have to feel it, experience the felt practice of it to get it. Once those folks get it, then then it's time to start thinking about how do we do this with others. Uh, and so that's the natural progression. You experience yourself through through coaching or through cohort learning. Then you're ready to start uh, supporting others to do this. And in the way I go in, that's kind of how we do it, the different levels of system. The book uh, is extremely helpful because it's an added way to build the common language to do kind of the learning part of this. Um, and I would say in terms of outputs, uh, what I would want to, would be this culture start to grow. That when people in an, the organization start in their work, I want them to be sitting down and saying, hey, listen, this I was triggered when this happened. I was feeling this emotion. And you know, I know some of that's my self-limiting story. And so I'm self-managing here and I want to step back and listen, listen to your side of the story so I understand. So, so it's in that kind of adaptive level of engagement in the organization, I would be looking for shifts. Uh, I would expect teams to become more functional, more efficient. Uh, I would expect them to be making better, more inclusive decisions. I would expect relationships between leaders and direct reports to improve, that there would be more candid conversation, more cha- you know of those challenging but with connection conversations. Uh, and kind of writ large, I would expect the conditions for growth, condition, what I call the conditions for learning, to dramatically shift in that organization. And how do you protect that over time? So you've, you've done all this work. How do you make sure it stays that way? Got to build internal capacity. So, you know, part of what I do that, like kind of the next level is, all right, how do I start helping the leaders in that organization? know how to train others to do the, to do the work once I'm gone. Uh, and so I'm, I'm trying to build coaching capacity and leaders in these organizations or leadership development capacity so that they can, can, they can build their own internal model of um, 
bringing new people in to the language, bringing new people into to focusing on these skill sets and their own and mindsets and their own growth, uh, so that it becomes this. This is who we are. We're a learning organization that's focused not just on building your technical skill, but building your adaptive emotional intelligence as well. And the other thing I would look for, quite honestly, is retention. Uh, my experience is when this culture is there, people stay. And that's pretty important these days. I mean, in, with the great reshuffling. <laughs> um, people want to work in a place that they feel like they're growing, and they want to work in a place that they feel like their their manager cares about them. And I have one more challenging question really related to that. I think a lot of the reluctance I've, I've seen to like big shifts like this is they're like, we're going to lose people and we're going to lose people who are high up the chain. Is that a possibility? And if it is, how do you, how do you work with an organization and say, I think it's worth it. Like if they are not wanting to change this, this is, these are your options and, and this yeah. is how you choose. What I find is the higher up the chain you go, the less likely that leaders feel like they're growing and the less likely that they are that they're getting any meaningful to them professional development. Because most professional development organizations is focused on the lower levels. So once you get to a higher level, kind of like, uh, this kind of lead, this kind of development speaks to everyone up and down the pipeline. Because when it comes to mindset growth, doesn't matter how high you are. As a matter of fact, uh, the emotional intelligence folks will say the higher up you go, the less emotional intelligent you are. And that's because you become more and more isolated from, from real talk. You know? Um, and so there's something in it for everyone. My experience is everyone suddenly feels like they're growing. Now, where that growth leads can sometimes lead people to realize, I hate my job. I've, I've been doing this thing that I hate for years and I now realize, and I've just been kind of underwater. And so it does happen sometimes that some people realize that and, and they leave. And, and my, my, uh, my rationale to the organization would be like, you really want people who hate their job, you know, in these positions. Um, and don't you want to build the pipeline of people who are just deeply loyal feel like they're growing, see a next level, and come into these positions just fired up. I had a conversation with somebody just this week, and they were, they were telling me that uh, basically a VP had come in and had given like a really good talk to their team, and they all felt really jazzed about it. And they're an individual contributor. They're, you know, a few layers removed. And like they, they said what a big difference it made. And I was like, well, did you, did you tell them that feedback? Did you reach out and let them know? And they're like, no, like, mm. why would I do that? I'm like, well, how else are they supposed to know? Like, you've got to, like that feedback train's got to go both ways, you know? And they're like, do you think that's okay? And I'm like, I know that's okay. I a hundred percent know that's okay. You should definitely say, Hey, you came, you talked to my team. It made a big difference. It was a big deal. And here are the things you did that really helped to motivate us and inspire us. And, but that thinking of like, oh, I can't reach out to them. There are mm -hmm. so many layers removed from me. I, I think it's pretty pervasive. And to your point, yeah, like the further away you get, the further you get from beneficial growth feedback and the, and the more direction yeah. you get. It is so hard as a and give. senior leader 
to get feedback, like real feedback. And one of the things that I try to create in these conditions, these this, these cultures, is that the leaders are the head learners, right? That if you really want a, a growth culture, you need to be seen growing. People need to see you growing, and so and and how that benefits you as a leader is give me feedback. Here's what I'm working on. Like, think about this. Imagine the impact of publicly in front of all of your people saying, look, I have this growth area. Here's what I'm working on. Here's what it looks like when I'm, I'm not doing it well. I want you to tell me when that's happening. Uh, that would be a, a gift to me for you to tell me when that's happening. Can I just say, you couldn't have said that at a more perfect time. My direct leader, I, I've known for a long time, we have a very a good relationship and we're just now doing like our mid year reviews and I'm supposed to give feedback on her. And I said, cause we talk very candidly. I said, look, I don't, I don't know what kind of like things you need to work on. Like I, nothing's coming to mind. And she goes, Oh my gosh, are you kidding? I have so many things on my list of things I'm working on. I'm like, well, why don't you tell me? Like, why, why don't you share with me what you're working mm-hmm. on? So I can tell you how it's going. Um, so, so important. And it just, if you're not being deliberate about it, it's so easy to get lost in the mire because we have a fantastic relationship. And still, because we're not thinking about talking about it, it never came up. Sure. And as a leader, she, I'm sure she feels isolated or he, that they feel uh, that they're not really sure how they're doing to some extent. Uh, you know, I, the metaphor I think of is the emperor's new clothes, right? The emperor has has no clothes, <laughs> But how does the emperor even know? Because no one's going to tell them. Uh, and in this kind of a growth culture, I think the leader is going to be more energized. And and maybe not all the conversations are going to feel good. But, you know, I think we all as human beings want to be growing, want to feel like we're moving somewhere uh, that's connected to our purpose. You know, what you're talking about really speaks to this idea of vulnerability. Yes. My experience in leadership or even in corporate America is that that's a place over there <clears throat> that we're not going to go to, right? And then people like me that are okay with this idea of I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable because I feel like that creates real relationships and creates and fosters real growth. We're, we're just mutants, right? <laughs> we're, we're people over there. How important is vulnerability? And if I'm in a culture that is, you know, um, resistant to being vulnerable, and again, we learn, right? So, hey, we're not supposed to talk about this, or don't make sure that your people don't know what you're working on because it'll make you look weak. How mm-hmm. do we foster that environment of vulnerability? Because I feel like that's I I believe that there's power in vulnerability, and it gets me to places that. I would have never gotten to if I wasn't. Yeah, I mean you can't you can't share emotional data without being vulnerable. Right? Because emotional data is is sharing yourself in in different ways. I think the first step Scott is is awareness. How do you increase the awareness in your organization that that's the case? A lot of people probably it's invisible to them. It's just you know it's always been this way. I've never thought about that before. And it's, you know, that's just how we do things. And so, you know, one of the things I do when I go in is try to help people just become aware that that's, that is true and consider the impact of that. I think those two, you know, those two things have a lot of power because when you start thinking about 
the domino effect of impact. And you, you, you can connect the dots to performance and outcomes. Uh, then it's like, well, okay, I guess that's kind of important. I think the other thing I would say is I can see how is, uh, you know, if I'm a leader and to my manager, my being vulnerable can be a little dangerous right? because these folks are evaluating me. However, if I'm a leader and I manage others, if I can bring man- my vulnerability into those relationships down the chain, uh, what I'm really doing is creating conditions for learning for people. You know, if I, as a leader, am vulnerable first, I'm giving you permission to be vulnerable with me. I'm making it safe to do that. And it's such a powerful experience when that happens. One of the things that you talk about in your book is this idea of burnout, which is very real, right? Um, I think more so today than ever. At least maybe we're more aware of it. We all went through a couple of years. We worked our fanny off and didn't take a lot of time for ourselves. Can you talk a little bit about this idea of burnout and what we as leaders um, need to do about it, not just for the people that we serve, but for ourselves? Yeah. Uh, There's this great concept I've learned. It's the sacrifice syndrome where we, um, we just have this belief that it's my job just to give and give and, and push and push and taking care of myself is really weakness or it, you know, my organization frowns on it or everyone else is sacrificing. So that's what I need to do too. And that leads to chronic burnout. And that's in normal times, <laughs> you know, uh, in the last two years, people have tried to keep, tried to keep working that way through the pandemic through like literally experiencing trauma. We've all experienced trauma over the last two years and not just the pandemic, right? There's a, there's a racial awakening going on in this country. Like there's all sorts of the the environmental like challenges. There are so much that the culture wars that we are carrying um, and then continuing to try to, to work into this sacrifice syndrome. I don't think we have been this chronically burnt out maybe than ever than we, as we are right now. Um, and it's, it's a big piece of the work. And one of my chapters is, a, is just really just about this. Uh, and then another one of my chapters is just how you, what you do about it. And um, I, you know, if I could wish anything on us all right now, it would be that our organizations would prioritize healing and repair. Um, I don't, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is this great pyramid, but it starts with just basics, enough food, enough you know, nutrition and like safe conditions. I mean, what we're talking about is the base of the pyramid here of Maslow's hierarchy for, for people and organizations. There's a, there's a deep need to heal and repair right now. Um, and we're not going to be able to perform at our, at our, real level until we've taken care of that. And then I would say the other thing is to, I think the easiest way to do that is to create a culture of self-care. And and it's, you know, you create culture by talking about things together. You create culture by building a common language of whatever it is you want to focus on. My team and I have have created a self, a a team self-care check-in protocol. 
And basically all it is, is we look at a, a checklist of self, the different kinds of self-care. We figure out what we're doing well and what we're not. We come together and we share with each other. Everyone goes around a circle. They share what it is. Everyone, everyone responds, give you a little cheerleading on the things you're doing well, ask you questions about the things you're not, ask you what you need. Maybe I need you to check in on me. Like It would be great if you would ask me how I'm doing on that thing. But, and we do it every four to six weeks, one hour. It's amazing the, the impact of just that conversation on our focus on our own self-care every day. And, and, you know, I would say if organizations could just create an authentic space for people to focus on this together, it could have a huge impact. I, I think so much of the modern workforce has focused in on how do we turn people into machines? And so we know what, so we can measure input versus output that we get really scared whenever people start be acting like people and humans and anything we can do to better embrace people as people and not people as machines. I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. It makes me this. think if you could turn what people are whispering into what people are saying, how impactful that could be. Mm. Surfacing the subtext yeah. is what I call that. And it take, but it takes uh, it takes emotional intelligence to be able to do that well. You've got an amazing book out. Um, it's the uh, the Noble School Leader, and if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how that book came to be and why you feel it's so important these days, that would be fantastic. Sure, you know, I I, I was doing this work year after year, having an impact with the leaders that I'm working with. You know, pe seeing people transform. And realizing there's a lot more need out there. Uh, and I, you know, I realized I can turn what I'm doing into a self-guided journey. And then a lot more people could do this and they could do it on their own. So basically what the book does is what I would do in my four-part uh, or four or five-part EI 101 series. It introduces the common language of the, of, of the, of emotional intelligence. It, it, it shares what I, what I have found to be the seven most common mindset obstacles of all leaders so people can find themselves or find a way into the work. And so what you would do if you bought the book is you would find the thing you want to work on, you kind of learn what, how you're going to use emotional intelligence to do it, spend a little time making sure you've got a base in that Maslow's hierarchy that your self-care is okay because you can't do this work if you're chronically burnt out. Once you've got yourself okay, you pick the chapter that corresponds to your self-limiting mindset you want to work on, and then it's a self-contained coaching journey. You pull out my five square, you download it from my website, and you do all, uh, several different self-reflective um, activities over time. You build a learning plan that you can apply to your work every day. You, you, you create experiments for yourself to try things out over time. And it's, a, it's really just kind of self-guided coaching uh, that, you know, it could take you through a year of, of your work and, and growth. Fantastic. Mr. Taylor, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Sir. Appreciate you being on the show with us. Great stuff. Um, could you do me a favor? Could you let our audience know how they could connect with you? Sure. Uh, my website is noblestorygroup.com. That's N-O-B-L-E, noble, 
Uh, you can reach out to me at info at noblestorygroup.com. Uh, I'm at LinkedIn on Matthew Taylor and also on LinkedIn at Noble Story Group. And you can find me on Facebook as well at, at Noble Story Group. Improvement by leveraging emotional intelligence. Amazing topic. Thank you for bringing some really great um, information, some amazing stories. That's awesome. Danielson. Yes, Scott. Yeah. Could you let our audience know how they could better connect with us, sir? Absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in on the discussion. Tell us how you feel about being human at work and tapping into your emotional intelligence. We really want to hear. If you're on Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all of our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott? Thanks, Dan. Hey, everybody, if you do me a favor, could you go ahead and hit that like button, subscribe to this uh, podcast wherever you're getting it, share it out with your friends. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever um, you might catch podcasts like ours, leave us a review. It's a great way for us to get that feedback that Matthew was talking about so we can make our show better, but it also helps us get out to more people, and we really appreciate that. So with that being said, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. And I'm Matt. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.